Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're talking vodka. And I am super excited. I've got one of my new friends on, Mati Antela. Mati, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. I think I nailed your name, too. I think. Pretty close. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, so for those who don't know Mati, uh, he is the founder and CEO of Grain and Barrel Spirits, and they make Dixie Southern Vodka. And you're going to hear all about that today, as well as his path to getting into the entrepreneurship space. So Mati, let's do this. Let's Your company you started and founded in 2012. But before that, you were an analyst with JP Morgan Chase. And for a lot of our listeners, you know, they're still the analyst with JP Morgan Chase, or so they're thinking about taking that step. So talk about your background and how you decided to take the step out and, and do your own thing. Yeah, I had, um, you know, like a lot of uh, kids coming out of college, um, I I wanted to go into investment banking. Uh, I think, uh, you know, being a product of the 80s and 90s, I'd watched Wall Street probably one too many times, uh, idolizing Gordon Gecko. Uh, <laughs> of course. So, <laughs> I love it. it. Was, uh, you know, it's kind of a natural place for, for me to go. And a lot of my peers went into banking as well as consulting. Uh, and so I, I went to JP Morgan. I was lucky enough to be in the natural resources group, which um, at a time when there wasn't a lot of deal flow post 9-11, um, was able to uh, have a pretty active experience there, particularly in South America. Uh, and so I was I was in Brazil uh, looking at a lot of oil and gas, uh, water, power um, deals. And, you know, what I realized during that time, one, I was, I was getting a great foundation, um, but I also felt that I was really being drawn towards doing something more entrepreneurial uh, in a less structured environment. Um, you know, enjoyed being at JP Morgan with my colleagues. I mean, being an analyst in an investment bank is a grind, um, but, it, but it is a great learning experience. But I, I really wanted to create something. And so I started looking at opportunities, uh, particularly down in Brazil, since I was spending so much time uh, there, really looking at products that um, I could bring to uh, the U.S. market in particular. Uh, and, you know, I felt that uh, just personally, uh, I had that itch that I needed to scratch, um, but I was also really looking, it was less about product at the beginning and more about uh, more of a macro view on on Brazil and how to really take advantage of what it seemed like at that time was going to be the emergence the finally the emergence of Brazil uh, on the international scale which which didn't quite work out um, from a Brazil standpoint um, but um, you know it was an opportunity to create a product from scratch and that really excited me sure so you're in Brazil you founded Cabana Cachaca Hopefully I said that correctly. Kachata. Yes. thank you. In 2011, you were named one of the top 50 spirits in the world by Wine Enthusiast Magazine. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And this is, was this your first company that you had established? And what did that product line look like? Yeah, so when uh, when I came up with the idea for Cabana, so that was in 2005. And Cachaca is the national spirit of Brazil. So basically pure came rum. It has to be produced in Brazil to be called Cachaca. And it, it has the Stadia 
on the last C, which makes it difficult to pronounce, which was partly the issue we had in market. No one could pronounce it. So it's if someone can't pronounce something, it's they're less likely to order it. Uh, so and then true. the main cocktail is the caipirinha. Oh, uh, which even, is more even more easy to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, but the, so, but at that point, you know, very big category in Brazil, unknown outside, um, outside of Brazil for the most part, more well-known in Europe, but not very well-known in the U.S. It's a very small category. And the idea was really to introduce a brand, but also at the same time, a category. Uh, which is a very challenging thing to do, um, but if you if you can if you can do it, I mean you can be you can you know it can be quite uh, lucrative if you're successful. Um, and so, but I didn't know any better. I didn't have any background in the spirit space, so I I really looked at it purely from a consumer standpoint. And at that point, a consumer in his twenties. Uh, so I really built the brand around what I personally would like to consume uh, and launched it in New York in 2006. Um, had a had a big group of, uh, of contemporaries and friends uh, in New York at the time who kind of helped me roll it out. Uh, and you really kind of proceeded from that market to, to rolling out nationally, uh, primarily through uh, national accounts. Uh, so we were in Morton's and Roy's and Fleming's and Hilton Hotels and building it all from from scratch. So the distributor uh, network as well as the, the retailer network and the production uh, and had that as the, um, as the core brand through 2010. Uh, and then I acquired Boodle's Gin from Perno Ricard in 2011 um, which was an old uh, gin brand that dated back to the 19th century. That was Winston Churchill's favorite gin uh, and and was an opportunity for me to utilize some of the skills that I learned at J.P. Morgan uh, and, and then subsequently sold that brand to Proximo, which is owned by the Beckman family, owned Jose Cuervo. Uh, and that then allowed me to start uh, Grain and Barrel at the end of 2012. And the, the idea behind Grain and Barrel was really to identify emerging trends in the spirit space and then either resurrect, create from scratch or acquire brands to take advantage of those trends. Wow. That's an amazing story. Now, before I jump to Grain and Barrel, or are we going to detail there? Just share with some of our listeners some of the differences in the the market for selling like your Conchasa, Cabana Conchasa product in Brazil versus distribution and selling in the US. Well, so in Brazil, you know, everyone knew what Conchasa was. Um, so... It, but it also, in general, in Brazil, cachaça is more of a low-end spirit and more industrial grade, sells for maybe a dollar a bottle. Um, and the, the goal with Cabana was really to elevate the category. So we were the first to double distill cachaça, which isn't all that innovative, but for cachaça was, it helped smooth it out, just made it a cleaner, better product, uh, upgraded, upgraded the packaging, um, and, and really tried to create a more of a luxury product out of what traditionally was was not. Uh, and but in Brazil, the awareness was there for the category. In the United States, there was zero awareness, uh, and no one could pronounce it. <laughs> right. um, and there was no uh, really. It was only in the on-premise, so restaurants and bars um, in certain kind of big metro markets, so New York, Miami, L.A. Um, there was some market for cachaça, um, but no, like you couldn't, you couldn't give away a bottle at a liquor store. Um, so it really was a very, um, I would say small market 
in the U.S. versus a very large market in Brazil. And, and ultimately, that's why I thought there was an opportunity. Um, and, you know, the, the challenge we had with Caban, even though it, it got rave reviews, including Top 100 Spirits, um, it was the timing was a little bit challenging, too, because we launched it in 2006. Uh, and there was some momentum behind the category and, you know, in 2007 and then 2008, the world falls apart and trying to sell a, uh, category, uh, especially in a premium or super premium format, uh, you know, as that is happening, um, proved to be very, very challenging. Um, but, you know, the whole experience really, um, helped me develop the model that I was able to implement later on with, um, particularly Dixie, um, in, in just understanding kind of how to position a, a product for the market. Uh, and, and really making sure that the, the kind of the size of the, the market was, was big enough to, to warrant the investment. So you came out of you know, the, uh, your, your finance background and you didn't know the industry. So what were the key things you had to do to get yourself educated on the industry and really learn it quickly, right? Because, I mean, you were establishing company, growing a brand, then bringing it to the U.S. Like, what were the key steps for you personally that you had to take to, to really learn that industry? Yeah, so one of the the lucky things is that I came out of a sector in natural resources that was highly regulated. Um, so going into alcohol beverage, which is also highly regulated, I, I there was at least um, some background there that allowed me to understand kind of how those things work, right? How do you interact with regulatory agencies? Where do you go to look for kind of the rules around things? So. Um, and I always tell people, I mean, part of it, and you'll get this with a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, for the most part, entrepreneurs, or for the large part, is they come into new categories without knowing all that much about them. And I think that's that's an advantage because, I mean, if I have plenty of people who reach out to me now with an idea to start a spirits brand, um, and generally <laughs> right. I tell I tell them that's not a great idea. So I think if I if I had known what I know now, I I would probably not have um, pursued that path. Um, <laughs> but I think that's pretty typical. Um, I think it's this people who you don't know what to be afraid of, uh, and that kind of helps you move forward. And then hopefully, when you discover what you should have been afraid of, it doesn't uh, totally destroy you. But the um, really, it was about talking to people. Um, it was about networking um, with with the folks who who had been in the industry for a while. Um, many of whom tried to dissuade me from doing what I was doing. Um, but you know, at least kind of pointing me in the right direction um, regarding okay, this is these are the things you have to watch out for. These are some intros that that would be helpful. Um, and. You know, the big thing was was and and this is what how we still uh, roll products out today is really trying to think about it from a more of a, a narrow and deep standpoint as opposed to trying to be too wide too soon um, and, and really controlling the process. So when when I when I uh, launched uh, Cabana, it was just in New York City, uh, which is a highly competitive, very expensive market to launch a product in. But at least it was a market where I lived and where I was able to walk around and really interact very closely with our initial customers. Uh, and it, that allowed me to learn um, uh, via a very hands-on approach. Um, so while I didn't have the background in the industry, I quickly 
met enough people who who knew the industry very well uh, and then really was very close to the product at the beginning to allow for me to understand, okay, this is, I might have these assumptions around the customer and how they're going to use it, et cetera, et cetera. But let me go out and actually talk to the people who are actually going to be out there making the drinks and serving the product and buying it uh, to understand, are my assumptions correct or incorrect? And uh, and that's kind of how I started learning uh, learning the industry. And, and at the end of the day, mo- most industries are fairly small in terms of kind of the core group. And so you start meeting people and you meet other people and, and you have a pretty good sense of it uh, fairly quickly, in my opinion. Sure. Well, so then fast forward uh, back to you, you founded Grain and Barrel Spirits. So how did you decide, you know, you're going to focus on vodka and um, and I, I love the flavors you've got here, but what made you decide, you know what, there's an opportunity here and I'm going to launch Dixie Southern Vodka as one of the brands under Grain and Barrel. Like, how did you decide to make that decision? Yeah, well, one of the advantages of vodka is that it's very large. Um, so it's about a third of the spirits market as opposed to Cachaca, which is a, a, you know, a hundredth of a percent, or I don't know <laughs> right. what the number is, but it's extremely small, small. market, right? Uh, you know, so, so there wasn't the um, the education about the category necessarily that was required. So there was there was an there was something appealing to that after having gone through kind of the the process of of trying to introduce something that people had no idea what it was or how to pronounce. More specifically, you know, with regards to vodka, what I realized is something pretty significant was happening within that large category. Because if you looked at it from the outside, you say, okay, huge category, lots of players, very crowded. But what was happening at that time, so this was kind of, I came up with the idea in 2000 and call it 12, 13. Um, we had come out of the uh, global recession, right? We we're just kind of emerging from that. Craft beer uh, had had really emerged as as a significant trend. Uh, bourbon had come back as the quintessential American spirit. People were talking about craft and local. Uh, and in the southeast, where 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 I'm based, you know, everyone who's talking about craft was talking about bourbon or moonshine, maybe a little bit of gin, which was happening kind of internationally, um, but. People were basically, for the most part, they were ignoring the largest category by far in vodka. Um, and around that time was when Tito's started to emerge out of Texas. And Tito's had been around a long time, but it really at that time, people, I think, took a step back and said, okay, I'm drinking craft beer. Um, I've rediscovered bourbon. Uh, I'm shopping at the farmer's market, uh, you know, but I'm still drinking Grey Goose there has to be something that is fitting with the the rest of the changes that I've made as a consumer. Uh, and with, with regards to vodka, I think people started looking and saying, okay, well, what, there's got to be an American option here. And really it was Tito's was the only one. And they just kind of raised their hand and said, you know, here we are. And that's when Tito's really started to emerge. And so, but, but at the same time, people wanted local and they wanted regional uh, which is something we've seen really, really grow over the, the last number of years. And so as I assessed the market, I was like, what do you do if you're a Southern consumer and you want to, you've, you've moved to, to, in all these other categories to something local and regional, 
But your only option is now an emerging vodka out of Texas. And while Texas is great, it's not really the core South. And I realized that there was an opportunity. If we could create an authentic brand that emanated from the Southeast, that really embraced Southern um, ingredients uh, and partners, uh, that is something that people could really kind of rally behind and call their own. And that was really what... Um, how the, the idea for Dixie um, started. And I have, um, on my mother's side, I have a lot of family background in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and so, and Charleston's iconic and everyone loves Charleston. And so <clears throat> I really looked at that and I said, if we could create a product and, and really have its home base be Charleston, um, but not be hyper-local, but instead be more hyper-regional and really try and find the best of you know, X, Y, Z throughout the Southern region so that it is, you don't have to just be a consumer in Charleston, but you can be Charleston, Knoxville, Baton Rouge, and, you know, Louisville. It's a brand that you can really call your own. And that was really what um, developed the idea. And, and at that point, uh, American, premium American vodka was, was really not a category. It was becoming a category, but uh, if you had kind of gone back to call it 2007 as an example and asked for a premium American vodka, people just looked at you like you had three right, heads. Right. It just wasn't, wasn't a thing. Um, and, and now it is very much a thing. Flavored vodka seems to have come on strong. I, I don't, you know, not the expert here, but the last couple of years as well. Well, so yeah. And flavored vodka is interesting. I mean, there's, there's kind of always been flavored vodka, but they, they, it had kind of gone a little bit more towards the kind of, uh, I would say like confectionery type of flavors, like the whipped creams and the cotton uh, got candy. Vanilla. And, yep. <clears throat> right. And, and what's happened recently, and, and this is something that we've been really on the forefront of is, is really going to natural ingredients, uh, and more of like, I would say culinary forward type of ingredients. Um, and products where if you could basically infuse at home yourself, um, that's really the inspiration. So it's just really using, um, you know, real products from real places. Uh, and then, and what's great for us is that allows us to then tell our partner stories and, and really bring to the forefront, this idea of flavors of the South. Um, but there's flavors are a big part of vodka, but it, the big shift has been from, like to natural flavors away from artificial flavors. Uh, and that's been a big, big trend. Yeah. So a couple of the flavors for those who haven't checked out uh, Dixie, Dixie wildflower, honey, black pepper, citrus, mint, peach. I think peach for me sounds like my favorite, but what have, what are your top sellers like of those brands and which ones were first, second, third, you know, in terms of flavors of the overall mix. So 80% plus of our businesses are core Southern vodka, which is our six times distilled from, um, from corn and the, so, and that will probably always be the case. I mean, it's, it's, that's kind of the flagship, but we use the flavors um, more in the on-premise. So in restaurants and bars um, to, to really kind of, especially at the beginning was to help open doors because it provides a point of differentiation, especially, you know, our main competitors, Tito's, I mean, people have, who are drinking Dixie have generally made that shift over from imported to, to domestic. Uh, and, you know, Tito's a great product, but they only have their base vodka. So, um, you know, flavors allows us to really kind of have a point of differentiation, especially in that first interaction with a, with a consumer. So um, our most famous flavor 
uh, is our black pepper, uh, which has won now two years in a row, best flavored vodka in the world. Um, this year at San Francisco World Spirits Competition and last year at the Ultimate Spirits Challenge. Uh, it was really designed to be um, to be a vodka to use in a Bloody Mary. Um, and so um, it really enhances the Bloody Mary, but it's not a hot pepper. Uh, it's more of a culinary pepper where you can add spice, you can add heat to your Bloody Mary, but it doesn't automatically have heat. So a lot of where other brands have gone wrong on pepper vodkas is they make it a hot pepper. Um, and some people like a hot Bloody Mary, other people don't. So that's, that's the one that's really been our, our core flavor. And then we, we rolled out the wildflower honey in partnership with Savannah Bee Company last fall. And, and that's been the real, that has helped establish the template of how we do flavors. Um, or in less how we do flavors because we've been doing flavors in a similar way, but really how we tell the market about how we do flavors and about our partners and telling stories. Right. And so with that, we, um, we use, uh, wildflower honey, um, sourced, uh, actually from South Georgia in partnership with Savannah Bee Company. Uh, it's infused in, in our core Southern vodka. Uh, and then uh, a portion of the proceeds from each bottle sold go back to the Bee Cause, which is a Charleston-based charity that puts education hives, educational hives in schools and public spaces and government buildings and museums around not only the region, but now around the country. Uh, and what's, what's great about it is it, it's, it's an authentic ingredient. It's a real ingredient um, that is developed via a, a really – uh, interesting partnership with another kind of like-minded company. And then there's a cause associated with it. And so it kind of, it's kind of brings it all full circle and that's, and then that provided a template for what we did with peach, which is our most recent uh, flavor, which is delicious by the way. Um, <laughs> and um, so we, we partner with Lane Southern Orchards uh, yep. in Georgia. I They've been growing well. peaches Lane for packing. over a, yeah, they've been growing peaches for over a hundred years. Um, amazing company, amazing people. I was just um, at the farm last week, um, and uh, really a great, great product. They also grow a lot of pecans. Um, and um, you know, so what we do is we we work with them. We we get fresh peaches and we infuse those peaches in 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 the vodka and and. You know, it's just it's it's a great visual story that we can tell to the market as well. And and at the same time as we're promoting Dixie, we're promoting Lane and their story. And I think in this day and age, that's what that's what consumers want, right? They want to understand more about the brands that they consume and they want to be able to share stories. Uh and that's the flavor partnerships that we have allow us to to do that uh, and it's just gotten every time we do it it's been more and more effective and and it's really helped drive overall brand awareness and it's a win-win for us and for our partners sure yeah and for those that haven't checked it out dixievodka.com we've got some um, not only access to where you can buy the product but also um recipes which i think are so cool there's some amazing ones here and then of course the their, your main website grainandbarrel.com so what would be one or two of the biggest things you got to focus on like in the next six to 12 months to really grow the brand well so we've started um now uh branching out outside of the the south um which is exciting for us so we launched in colorado uh just recently uh, and it's an opportunity for us to to share um, our story and our partner's story to a 
broader audience audience um and and really allow this kind of concept of flavors of the south to travel um and <clears throat> so you and the and the feedback so far has been fantastic i mean people have really uh embraced the brand um but it's you know it's one of those things as you expand out um you it's you got to make sure that um you're still paying attention to the to the base and the core um and so organizationally that's that's the big thing for us now it's it's paying attention to our core home market while effectively introducing the brand outside of uh, outside of our core region so that's going to take up you know a lot of time and attention um and our story will you know evolve uh as as we do that and luckily we we spent the time over the last kind of four plus years really establishing a strong base. Um, and in a similar way to if you look at the Tito story, I mean, Tito spent a lot of time just in Texas and I kind of look at the Southeast as, as our Texas. Um, and so now instead of moving out too quickly, you know, we took our time, we know what we, we know our story, we know, we know what people like about our brand. Um, we know what resonates, and and that has now allowed us to to really start branching out, which is which is an exciting evolution for any brand. That's so awesome. Yeah, and I I'm here in Atlanta, so I'm right in your your sweet spot. No pun intended. Yeah, that's our <laughs> that Atlanta's. Uh, I love Atlanta. It's it's a great market for us. That's so cool. All right, so Mati, so share with our listeners where they can find you, how they can connect with you, where they can you know, figure out where your product is and how they can uh, and go out and buy it. Yeah, so uh, DixieVodka.com, as as you mentioned, I mean that's our our obviously our website, um, which provides a list of all the markets that we're in. Uh, if if you're in the South, um, at this point the brand is pretty ubiquitous, so um, most retailers uh, will have you know will carry Dixie. Um, the, uh, we're also quite active on social media as most brands are. And so as we roll out new markets, um, you know, we're, we're always informing people of that. Um, but yeah, in general, um, our website is the best, best way to, to find out, uh, where we are. And then, you know, and then it also has a number of cocktail suggestions. Luckily it's vodka. So most people know how to use vodka, right. but um, with some of our flavors, um, you know, and like the black pepper is just amazing on Bloody Mary. So if you're a fan of Bloody Mary, that is highly recommended. And then um, my favorite cocktail with the, our new peach is actually in a mule. Oh, ah, um, interesting. Which is, which is dangerously delicious. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. You know, there's, there's just a lot of creativity that uh, you can keep it very simple or you can get very creative. And that's one of the beauties of vodka. What's really cool is, I mean, just, you know, with your finance and numbers background, and then you, you got to add your creativity and launching a brand and brands uh, and companies. It's just a good, really cool hybrid mix. And I, I love it. Well, Mati, it's so great to have you on the podcast. And I hope you'll come back on as you continue to roll out additional products and other, I know we didn't even talk about some of your other product lines, but love to have you come back on down the road. Yeah, we'd love to. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to tell the Dixie story and, um, always exciting uh to uh to share share with with folks who've maybe never heard of the brand i love it Uh, so my pleasure being on yeah we'll catch up here in atlanta i can't wait definitely the contender cast is sponsored by henderson shapiro peck you can download additional contender cast episodes directly via the apple itunes app store the google play store spotify and other preferred podcast platforms 
If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.